Hello and welcome to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. I'm your host, Wyndham Lewis, and I'm here today with my brother, Jeremy Sartori. It is a Brother, Brother podcast. And in honor of July 4th, 2020, our nation's birthday, we are doing an entire show on Canadian artists. <laughs> That's what 2020 in America has done to us. 2020 has driven us to the border. It has driven us to the border, wall. unfortunately. The border is closed right now. So, um, but it is, uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a, a number of reasons to be talking about Canada and Canadian music um, these days, not least of which, Jer, is the, uh, the release of Neil Young's latest album, which is not uh, a new recording. It is a uh, vestige of the 70s, uh, Homegrown. Have you given that a listen yet? I have, actually. Yeah, so, you know, let's start off with some of the classics, and I think Neil Young firmly sits on top of uh, <clears throat> the snow the snow mound for, for uh, classic artists in, in Canada. And uh, he just re-released Homegrown, or re-released, sorry, didn't re-release, just released for the first time Homegrown, which was sort of a, a cast-off album from the 70s that he had recorded and then shelved. Um you know, kind of a simplistic record. It, it falls right into that sweet era of Neil Young, and, and I particularly, like, went back years back and kind of did, like, a deep dive on, you know, what were considered his classic years, so from After the Gold Rush and Harvest and Tonight's the Night and, you know, that kind of string of se- early 70s albums he has um, that are all really damn good, and, and all of them open with fantastic tracks. I would say, like, one reoccurring theme with that period is... Some of the best side A openers uh, ever, and, and this does not disappoint there. This album is a little all over the place, though, and I think that's you know would be my guess on as to why he shelved it. Um, well, the, the the you know the the press that went with it, and you, you know you can never trust the narrative you know of a publicist, but you know the the press that went with it um, sort of indicated that it was a breakup album, and it was it was. Uh, too sensitive to the subject when he wrote it and recorded it and sort of stuck it on a shelf and, and went to the next thing. And I, so that was... The- yeah, and you, I mean, the lyrics are very, very much breakup album and, and you know, certainly a, a divorce album or, you know, it sounds like he had a child with that person based on the lyrics. I just, I never totally buy those narratives though, you know, and I think that uh, if you listen to it and, and it doesn't sound like you've given it a, a full spin all the way through or one at all, um... I think you'll see what I'm saying. It's kind of like, it just doesn't flow together very well either, but it's good. It's mm-hmm. definitely like, it's it's one of those things. It's sort of like, you know, a classic Neil Young album during that period is still better than, you know, 59 percent Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. But, you know, it, maybe it was, a, maybe it is kind of the, the downer filler album that, or not even the filler album, but the downer album that, that you know, yeah, what was the one he came out with after that? Wasn't it Tonight's the Night? Tonight's the Night, yeah, which is a yeah, very so. yeah different theme. Um, but yeah, so I mean, Neil Young... That's your get over the breakup record. Yeah, exactly. And Neil Young being kind of the, you know, coined the godfather of grunge and uh, I think kind of the cornerstone for classic rock in Canada, what do you think? And in the U.S. for that matter, but, you know, obviously I mean, Canadians yeah. have to... 
you know, lay claim to, to one, you know, all-time great. And I think uh, they have many we're going to talk about, but Neil Young has to be probably the I have, one. I have to say that Neil Young sort of, you know, crosses so many, has so many tentacles out and, and crosses over with so many people. It's really pretty remarkable. Um, and, you know, a, a iconoclast. I mean, the guy... You know, it's a, you know, many people have said this before me, but if somebody showed up with that voice and said, hey, I'm going to be one of the biggest rock stars in the world. That voice, that look, <laughs> you know. Yeah. He's not exactly yeah, yeah, a he, hot he, front he's man. He's a monster and, and yeah. just a creative force. And, um, you know, one of the things I was going to say about, you know, Neil Young is very, very well-trod territory, but uh, a lot of people know this. But early on when he was in bands in Canada, um, a draft-dodging bass player by the name of Rick James uh, joined a band he was in called the Minor Birds. So they played together early. So he sort of has his you know, connection to funk and R&B in American music. Um, you know, he was sort of the little brother to Randy Bachman in the Winnipeg, uh, Canada scene and, and, you know, sort of has his ties to BTO and um, older classic rock like uh, Guess Who uh, through that. And then, um, you know, uh, Randy Bachman being of the Guess Who first and then BTO. And then you have, you know, him moving down to uh, the U.S., teaming up with Stephen Stills for Buffalo Springfield, Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young, and then, you know, all of the solo things he's done over the years. Did he actually record an album with Pearl Jam at one point, or is that my imagination? He did, yeah, Mirrorball. They backed him up. Um, And, yeah, he's a guy, he really is. I mean, as you're kind of name-checking that, I mean, Neil Young can pretty seamlessly... Uh, write a song, a country song, you know, or a country tinge song, Americana, you know, which is obviously a, a big sound in, in Canada as well, and a, you know, kind of grueling, you know, with Crazy Horse rock and roll album, and has some pop sensibility, and, and I think in his prime, and, and this album really kind of what it does show is just he's a damn good songwriter too, which is a, a, a tough yeah. combo, it's usually you're one or the other. Um, mm. I mean, not quite, you know, working for the weekend. Every, by Loverboy writing, no. but um, another or, Canadian powerhouse. Or but. <laughs> uh, My Girl by Chilliwack or Safety Dance by Men Without Hats, for that matter. But um, we, uh, we digress. But, you know, I mean, we saw Neil Young. It was one of your first concerts ever. Yeah. Um, and I always screw up who opened. I believe it was Sonic, Sonic Youth, Youth and, and Social, Social Distortion. Yeah, no, it was, it was yeah. the main, I mean, that's the reason. I think I remember going to that show because those two were opening up and then, or that was one of the main reasons I wanted to go. And Neil Young was a side note. And then he became less of a side note after that show because it was fantastic. <laughs> you know? Well, he never lost his, his zeal to, to discover new music and to play with, you know, forward thinking musicians. <laughs> I mean, even in the eighties when he was doing stuff like trans, which, yep. um, you know, nobody quite understood. And, and a lot of people thought it was an FU to the record company. Um, you know, he, he had these, um, you know, uh, sons who were developmentally disabled or, or disabled um, that, you know, he had, a, he had to uh, communicate with using, ele- you know, f- futuristic electronics or, or developing electronics. And, um, you know, that was his tribute to that uh, relationship in his life. So, I mean, he's, he's always been Started looking the bridge forward. And, yeah, um, that in mind. Also, wha- wicked crazy toy train collector. Um, that said, <laughs> Which I... Which is probably uh, the most Canadian thing about Neil Young, by the way. <laughs> Um, I watched uh, Once Were Brothers, the new-ish um, uh, Robbie Robertson-focused 
banned documentary. Uh, I say that, um, you know, as a sort of uh, tip off to the fact that Robbie Robertson has got full um, control and, and um, nobody else in the band is, is speaking at the moment. Um, three have passed and, and one has uh, retired to um, a life of privacy, Garth uh, Hudson. But um, it's, a, it's a pretty good documentary. Uh, I couldn't help thinking while I was watching it um, that would hear someone there else's opinion. Is, that I would want to hear a countervailing opinion on certain pieces of it, but that's a, again a, a relatively well-told story uh, where Levon Helm kind of you know spent the last twenty years of his life railing against Robbie Robertson for having um, you know uh, certainly uh, deservedly, whether or not fairly, uh, as a different beast, but you know taken all of the um, songwriting. Um, credit and, and along Royalties. with the money, and um, you know, but it, it you know the, the going back and, and walking through the the uh, story through Robbie Robertson's lens is pretty interesting. I mean, he you know definitely they got together uh, in can- uh, he started backing Ronnie Hawkins, who was an Arkansas-based artist whose band included Levon Helm. Robbie Robertson, as a 16-year-old, uh, moves to Arkansas to, um, you know, join his band um, and uh, little by little keeps importing um, his uh, colleagues from Canada until uh, Ronnie Hawkins' backing band, Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks, is Levon Helm. Robbie Robertson, Richard Manuel, Garth Hudson, and uh, Rick Danko. Danko, right. So, um, and then they they started backing up Dylan. They yeah, did it, uh, it's up, interesting. Um, I mean, like because we're talking about two kind of mega, I think, artists in classic rock. In my mind, the band and, and obviously Neil Young pr- prior to that. Um, the Bob Dylan connection. I did not see the documentary, uh, which you are kind of referencing here, but. Um, so they went from Hawkins and then backing up Dylan. What was the connection there? Was it just music scene, or did they like know Dylan, or was it the songs from the big? I mean, they recorded a bunch in the upstate New York, right? Songs no, they the, they followed Dylan's. Um, they were Dylan's backup band. I, mean, I knew that when he went band. electric on that tour. They right. They that were was sixty five at Newport, okay. yep. and they were getting booed incessantly wherever they went. And it, yep. it's, that's actually worth watching the entire documentary for for that section of it because it's it's really f- f- weird well, people are and hard to imagine now. Yeah. But they did a world tour. I mean, when I say world tour, they did U.S., Canada, and Europe. And yeah, the live at Royal Albert Hall is that too? Is that same? Uh, nobody liked it. They got booed everywhere they went, yep. and they got shit thrown at them, and it was... Uh, People were rioting. Was, you know, <laughs> yeah, Dylan is Dylan. I mean, he's, yeah. a, again, I hate to overuse the term, but an iconoclast, and he was like, fuck it, if they don't, you know, yeah. these are my songs, this is how I sing them now. And, um, you know, so he took the band with him, uh, you know, fairly well, Ronnie Hawkins, and, um, you know, while they were... Um, up in Woodstock, you know, waiting to back up Dylan, they they decided to record their own album, and uh, I believe it was sixty-seven songs from Big Pink uh, in the Pink House that they lived in. But you know, at that time, um, not to make this too focused on the band, but you know, Robbie Robertson on the Dylan tour had met uh, his future and and current wife, still wife, um, 
and started having kids, and the rest of the guys uh, found drugs. So, you know, that yeah. didn't end <laughs> well. A healthy appetite um, for drugs, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they lived in different places. They were completely in different stations in their life. But, I always um, think it's yeah, a fascinating so, group. I, didn't, I think you and I are on the same page with the band. Important, not necessarily our favorite, you know, group, but with, a, you know, two to three songs that absolutely are on all-time, you know, Hall of Fame songs. Um, but I always do find it interesting that these guys were the backup bands for two singers, and, you know, all of these guys could really sing aside from Robbie Robertson. You know, it's one of the yeah. kind of coolest and most interesting thing about the band is the fact that, like, you know, like a Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Young, or, you know, the harmonies and the different vocal stylings are really cool, um, even though yeah. they never and quite, you know, captured my attention the same way they do a lot of people. I, I love the band. Um, I don't think, and they don't cross my mind all that often, but um, I do love the band. And, you know, it's on the strength of, of those three singers, Richard Manuel, uh, Danko, and... and um, Levon Helm, um, you know, one, again, one from Arkansas, two from Canada. And it, that, that vocal, those harmonies and those arrangements really make their songs. The, the weirdest thing is Robbie Robertson sort of emerges ultimately as very definitively the leader of that band and is the only guy who doesn't sing. So it's it's kind of a weird, It's I don't think there's any other band um, about which you could, you could um, Van Halen maybe? Or, but I guess yeah. not in the sense that, like, yeah, I mean, just because they, um, you know, he kind of directed that band and always was the leader, not being the singer, which is the only... But again, you didn't have as many singers in that band. Yeah, you didn't have three singers in that band. I mean, I, I guess it's just... Um, but, there, yeah, you're right. There are there are certain bands where, I mean, Tom Schultz, uh, Eddie Van Halen, um, where the dominant, you know, Pete Townsend, for what it's worth, um, you know, where the dominant... Uh, leader of the band is, is not the front person but you know there i wouldn't say that robertson was the front person he was no not the at all leader yeah yeah no definitely it's and, interesting so um yeah so two two pillars of classic rock in the canadian up in our neighbors to the north um let's kind of t- t- what other kind of major class you said the guess who bachman turned into bachman turner overdrive um what yeah. other classics are there that come from the great white north well, i mean Joni Mitchell, who, you know, is obviously always lopped into the same, um, you know, Laurel Canyon crew as, as Neil Young, um, was, uh, is originally Canadian. And um, you have, you know, a far-reaching group. I mean, Rush, who kind of is their own genre, would you say? Yeah, I, I would mean, say, yeah, they get grouped into the prog rock world. I don't... They get, they get lopped in with heavy metal, prog rock. Yeah classic rock um all sorts of things but basically what they are is is music for guys who like the air bass yeah exactly <laughs> and people who are impressed by insane drum kits you know yeah uh, yeah yeah no rush is, is absolutely that um yeah that's 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 dude music at its finest r.i.p neil peart yeah, New York. That's uh, that's hoser music for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, then you have the sort of you know there were you know there are bits and pieces. There's some you know great seventies uh, AM people like Gordon Lightfoot. Um, you have you know your sort of uh, you know bands that were huge for momentary you know for for you know very short periods of time like Loverboy and. Um, you get uh, Steppenwolf, who's kind of a classic rock staple, but you know it's 
not beyond like three or four songs. Um, and then you get these sort of long-term careerists who, uh, you know, Katie Lang, who I'm a huge fan of. Yeah, um, you've seen many really, times, great singer. Yeah, and also speaks to the fact that, you know, people don't realize that Western Canada is Texas. It's, yep. uh, it's cold. You know, you get out to Alberta <laughs> and that area, and it's cattle country, and it's rodeo country, and it's country music country. And um, you get, uh, you know, out in Saskatchewan, um, Calgary, you know, all those areas. It's, um, you know, it is the Calgary Stampede is the largest rodeo in the, in the, in the world. It's a um, lot like Western USA because most of the economy too is yeah is livestock and oil. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and yeah, so you get a huge country scene. Although Katie Lang probably being the the biggest, and then you know, and in a country that I think has just always been a little more progressive too and friendlier to artists. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you get people who are in that who are sort of identifying that country scene, like Nico Case. There's you know, there's a certain Americana kind of scene for uh, lack of a better term, which is ironic. Um, and speaking of ironic, you get Alanis Morissette. Um, but I think she's our transitional figure. Um, maybe we'll take a quick break and then talk about the, uh, the bands from Canada that have really ignited uh, this millennium. Yeah, let's do it. Let's listen to Homegrown from the new um, Neil Young record and uh, talk about the uh, the 90s into the, the now with Canada. Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother pod. Wynn and I are celebrating, or pre-celebrating, the, the upcoming 4th of July 2020 weekend by um, talking about Canadian artists today, and uh, I think it sums up how we feel about um, just things right. in general these days. Um, thank goodness there's an election coming up. But anyways, um, I digress. So yeah, I think we ended the last segment on Alanis Morissette, who invaded my my uh, high school, yeah, high school and, and years. years yeah and sort of took on and I think I don't know if it's if it's a um a trend or not we can talk about some other kind of like very popular Canadian artists I, f- I think a lot of times you know you, you do f- usually find out that they're Canadian that's something that definitely comes up I think um it's almost like taking a a movement so I think in Alanis Morissette's um 
case, you know, you, you, it was off the heels of, of Riot Girl, sort of, and, and kind of a lot of uh, girl, women, you know, feminist rock coming out uh, in the underground. Well, it was a Lilith Fair. Yeah, well, Sarah but it was pretty was also Canadian. I think that yeah. popped, yeah. I think Alanis Morissette then started, like, almost like the Eddie Vedder voice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, had a chain reaction. And so you had, yeah, a lot of female artists kind of coming up, but a lot of female artists that were not traditional kind of pop Madonna, Cindy Lauper, you know, pop artists. And uh, yeah, a lot of more stuff with that album was just huge. And it was, you know, really polished, really, um, you know, uh, fairly Canadian <laughs> in its lyrics. And, uh, you know, videos just nonstop. I mean, isn't it ironic? What was the big first single, uh, Want to Know? Want to Know. I mean, yeah. it, dom- it dominated. I mean, Flea plays on that. Dave Navarro plays on that. Um, yeah. You know, the songs were written by Alanis, but written uh, with... Uh, um, What's it? Glenn Ballard, I believe, uh, co-writing and producing, and um, you know it was a mega hit. And I, it, obviously, there was enough of a push behind it that it wasn't shocking that it was a mega hit. But no, she had at the same time, she came, felt like it came out of nowhere. Well, she was a child TV star in Canada. Yeah, in Canada, exactly, exactly. I mean, it's the same like thing Drake. When we talk about Drake. Yeah. So I mean, um, but yeah, and then yeah, but all of a sudden there was a huge push behind it. But I think it it was one of those things too where they kind of found a formula. And I'm not saying it's a bad album even today. You can go back no, and it's good. check it out. It's really well done, and it's good. At the time, I was not a huge fan. But, you know, and I think there was that sort of, you know, Sonic Youth and, and Kim Gordon and, and some of the fashion that was going on at that time. It was like post the year punk had broke and, um, you know, Nirvana, you know, right there. And, and, yeah, it did. It kind of it knocked off, you know, into the Sarah McLaughlin, which all of a sudden became this new, like, Starbucks soundtrack <laughs> around the yeah. time. And the Lilith Fair, where you had, you know, um, just tons of, you know, women artists, but, you know, pretty pretty large variety. But Sarah McLaughlin, to me, would be, like, the downside of that whole scene, where it was just really boring. Yeah, there was the Sarah McLaughlin, Tori... Um, Amos. And, uh, yeah, Tori Amos. And, but there was a ton of, of in, independent women songwriters that were getting signed. Like, it was almost like the grunge rush but for solo female artists. I mean, if you recall, there was, um, you know, oh and I will, yeah. it was, it, I wish I had more. I'm thinking of every video because I'm thinking of the cowboy song, Paula yeah, Cole. Paula Cole. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Sophie um, B. Hawkins, who I believe might be Canadian Sophie B. Hawkins, yeah. uh, Jen Trinan, um, all sorts of people. A lot of Boston people, actually. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, everybody was looking for the next Alanis Morissette for a little while there. And that sort of bridged the gap to uh, the 2000s where, um, and needless to say, I will, I will uh, just throw this in that uh, a through line uh, for, I believe, the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, and ongoing would be uh, the tandem of Brian Adams and Sloan. That is um, true. Two, yeah. two artists that won't go, that'll never die. Uh, yeah. In Sloan's case, I'm psyched because uh, I always love those guys, but they, uh, I feel like those guys have been around. Yeah, since Sloan the is the time. hardest working band in the, possibly the world, but definitely in Canada, definitely in North America. And uh, yeah, and Brian Adams just, you know, he's, he's ever present and, uh, you know, I think currently saying dumb things and is getting old and senile, but um that guy was another sort of figure in childhood. And it's funny, you just don't, I mean, in, as a kid, I never would have, you know, summer of 69, never thought of Brian Adams as being Canadian because he, he worked really hard to kind yeah. of be, uh, you know, a lighter version yeah, of John like the, Mellencamp. He, 
Yeah, he was Mellencamp. He was Springsteen. He was a little bit of, you know, uh, there was a little, you know, he was a polished, you know, rock yeah. songwriter. Rock star. And I mean, you may hate him, but I mean, songs like Cuts Like a Knife are pretty good songs. Like, yeah, Cuts Like a Knife is... Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, but that shows you how far back it goes. I mean, it's yeah. 1982, and, and he was putting out hits through the 2000s. So, I mean, that guy had a hell of a career. He did. Um, Sorry. That said, yeah. I don't, I won't, I won't put him, lop him in with uh, the stable of, of genius that's come out of uh, Canada in the 2000s, which is really impressive. There's a, a lot it of is. our favorite acts from the last 20 years have been, um, you know, from, yeah. There was a moment scenes. in time where you felt like every band you liked was Canadian. And uh, is it, I'm curious, and I'm actually asking this, it's, uh, you know, I know when you listen to like Bell and Sebastian and how they kind of formed over in Scotland, where you had kind of a, an artist, um, almost like you know welfare, really. I guess to some degree, um, which we wouldn't. There's call a lot it, more arts which, grants and yeah, we in wouldn't Canada. call it in Canada <laughs> arts grants. Thank yeah. you. That's the American version, welfare. Goddammit. Um, but like, yeah, which I think allows for. Um, you know, bands to a live, and I mean, I think it's something that would be great here, especially considering right now where bands aren't able to make money touring. But it also just kind of like generates these scenes in these cities that are, are really, um, you know, uh, fertile. Yeah, fertile. Thank you. Looking for the word and uh, collaborative. I think in general, Canadians, if 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 our listeners haven't been to Canada, I went to college very close to Canada and have spent some time there um, working as well. Are gen- tend to be very nice people. Yeah. And I think there's less of that uh, American ego that goes with it. So you get a you get a band like Broken Social Scene or the New Pornographers, which are kind of two hives. One New Pornographers being um, Western Canada and Broken Social Scene being Toronto. But both of these bands were you know collectives of people in other bands. You had yeah. uh, Nico Case and Carl Newman and uh, Dan Behar from Destroyer in New Pornos, and you have um, Feist and... Um, the gal uh, from Stars, Kevin Stars. Shields. Yep. Uh, no, not Kevin Shields, uh, Kevin not Drew. Kevin Shields, yeah, Kevin Drew, yep. Um, but all these people that were, you know, sort of loosely affiliated but came together to make it to make really good records and and you know it wasn't like that super group thing where people got together and and sort of bashed and away made one shitty were, record <laughs> yeah no these guys were consistently getting back together and i mean new pornos have you know five or six great albums the broken social scene has three or four at least and i think both and, two have been kind of spearheaded by like i think in new pornographers case ac newman who we both really like a lot both solo and the new pornographers and then um, Kevin Drew for Broken Social Scene. But to your point, yeah, I mean, when they put out new albums, like Nico Case, who has a, a flourishing solo career, does sing on a lot of the new pornographer stuff still, and, and uh, Destroyer mm-hmm. um, also the same, like, come back and sing. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they like, tour Norman together. Is, you know, I mean, the de facto leader, but also, um, you know, a guy who, as outspoken as he is politically in, in his various social media accounts, seems like a, a very, um, uh, you know, uh, a very generous um, musical partner. I mean, he seems to give a lot of the, a lot of the good stuff away um, and a lot of the spotlight away, which is, you know, I think is pretty cool um, and uh, decidedly un-American. Yeah, very un-American. And, and, but <laughs> I was going to say, 
Um, and then you have, you know, I think probably one of the biggest bands that come out, of, probably the U2 of, of the new generation of the 2000s for sure, which is Arcade Fire, which, you know, does yeah. consist of two American brothers um, from Texas, but who I think both went to college, or my understanding is, and correct me if I'm wrong, went to, to school in, in Montreal. They formed at McGill and with, a bunch, yeah, McGill, with everybody else and in the band being Canadian. Have, yeah, have lived there ever since. So, you know, by, uh, and I think... Uh, Gladly, will claim Canada as home at this point too. I think by immigration, by immigration standards, they are officially Canadian. They are Canadian, point. and I think uh, yeah, Will definitely uh, has morphed into a Canadian as well. Um, but the Butler brothers there, and, and so the Arcade Fire, you know, I think you use the term many times, and uh, the fully formed kind of uh, band, and, and that's a band I, I do remember living in Chicago, and, and you kind of being like, oh, listen to this album, Funeral, and you know, we could have a whole podcast probably about Arcade Fire, but. You know, it really was like something just. Oh, this is like already you know coming down from the rafters. This is this is this is big. Well, like I, whatever the sound is. To Christian's chagrin, and I don't think you know, and I know he's an Arcade Fire fan, but um, I, this was the album that that took our uh, top album of the of the two thousand so far a couple years ago, and right. deservedly so. Every song on it is great, and yep. you know they put out solid record since they've become more experimental um with you know different styles of world music and their last couple records um so which which sounds almost like they've you know gone down a a, you know the wrong track they haven't though i think they continue to kind of really still make stadium style catchy songs i mean when you see them live those things jump you know it's i'm less inclined to listen to those albums as i am to to funeral or the suburbs but um, you get it. You know, there's some bangers off those records that that really translate live better than the, you know off that off the record. And I do think that they're one of those bands that you can't miss live because um, you know they're just always you know they are performers, they are pros, and not in the perfunctory let's get in and get out, but in the in the sort of way that they take every element of the stage. They would stage. like to keep playing, yeah. Yeah, they take every element of of the audience's uh, experience very, very seriously. Um, I've seen them twice, once early on and once uh, a couple of summers ago with you um, here in Boston. And uh, the f- both times were excellent. And that's, you know, that's always a sign of a band that, that is worth seeing, to your point, like a Radiohead or somebody that, you know, you kind of see any point in their career and they crank it out. But the first experience I had with them was just one of those, and it reminded me a bit of like, you know, like I said, I mentioned U2 before, and I'm not saying necessarily they sound alike or anything like that, but they kind of fill that void that U2 left. And it's something that's really un-American to me, which is uh, a modern kind of more cutting edge band being the, you know, being um, kind of that big, you know, you don't really get that as much here. I guess the Killers to some degree, but they're not, you know, there's there's bigger bands than that. You always band that's have to aiming have a, for the rafters that can yeah. that can <clears throat> ably deliver fill the rafters yeah. and also has a message. You know, I mean, there's you know there there are no slouches when it comes to social consciousness and things. I mean, they they're not afraid to talk yeah, about these things. And so, others, definitely. Um, yeah, and it, you know, my my take was always that Arcade Fire was was the modern was the uh, uh, water boys, um, you know, made larger, but, yeah. um, and, and I'll stick to that. I think there, there's definitely much more of a, um, dynamic shift in their music than there is necessarily maybe in, in U2s, although U2 has plenty of balladry and such, but, um, you know, they're just a, a really phenomenal band and, a, um, 
you know, mix of, of uh, um, talents that, that came together and, and gelled immediately. That said, uh, from Western Canada, obviously, you know, we talked a little about the new pornographers who hit our sweet spot, you know, this sort of power pop, pop. Um, uh, gem. And uh, Japan Droids, one of the bands that we um, both loved, all three of us loved, and kind of came out of that explosion of the great two-piece two, uh, rock band of uh, explosion of the 2000s that included... I would say the White Stripes, Black Keys, um, Japan Droids, Jeff the Brotherhood, and another Canadian uh, band called Death From Above 1979. Yeah, a, a who, very heavy, I, great band. I can't, can't remember if you saw that. Uh, I did, set. I did. Yeah. yeah, it was excellent. Yep, they were I was blown live. away by those guys yeah. live. And, and again... Um, this may be part and parcel with the fact that there are more arts grants in Canada. I just saw a documentary on Death from Above 1979, a band yeah, that you I wouldn't have Amazon, thought right? merited um, full documentary treatment, but it was very well produced and, and really fun to watch because, uh, yeah, it was just fun to see their live footage. And, and I, you know, I didn't realize that um, you know, the bassist had gone on to a larger following with... Um, uh, Mastercraft. Um, Mastercraft. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I can never remember the, the name of that band. Well, because it's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it is an EDM artist and, and a, again, like a festival headliner, um, you know. Uh, with, yeah, uh, it's, it, I had no idea that that was the same guy either until you, you called that out. And, um, yeah, and I think that also just goes to say, talk about, like, there's just a, a pretty fertile underground scene, so a layer beneath some of those bigger acts that we – Talked about there's um, you know preoccupations formerly Viet Cong you know effed up fucked up um, who is like you know a, a kind of modern day hardcore punk band with melody <laughs> and I think I, yeah, I with love melody and sensitivity yeah and, and great writing I, I love you know the the life of David album I think that's a great great uh, epic record um, still and, and a kick ass uh, live band by the way yeah definitely yeah very kick ass live and saw them too and uh, um, with a the guy jammed a beach ball on his head if you remember <laughs> um, but uh you know, so just a ton of like you know pretty pretty awesome underground Tegan groups as well. Skull Eyes, Tegan, Tegan and Sarah. Yeah, Tegan and Sarah who are the Lego responsible uh, for the Lego theme. Everybody is awesome, which oh, yeah, um, that's right. is a huge kid hit that. as well. So yeah, they. Um, I mean, I think it, it's it's one of those things. I think like England in the sense, or, or some of the European countries, some of the that we talk about, where you have a. Um, just a few less barriers to it. It's obviously a large country, but very densely populated and, and not, and not very many people, you know, densely populated where, where the actual people live. Um, but there's kind of a cross section. I mean, one thing they, they don't do very well is, is the hip hop genre. Um, they've never quite found their groove there. Although people love Drake and he's huge. I've warmed up to Drake over the years, but it's just never been my favorite. Um, and then we did have, uh, but dancehall reggae, for some reason, is something that Canada does extremely well with. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, who can forget Snow and <laughs> uh, his phenomenal debut, 12 Inches of Snow, uh, which I believe is uh, some it's, level it's of sexual innuendo. Um, yeah, that was a number one hit in the U.S. in 1993, I believe. Yeah. 92, 93. Yeah, there's been a there's been a lot of one-offs. I kind of was spitting them out earlier. Um, 
Chilliwack, Men Without Hats, Snow, um, Jane Child, uh, all of whom topped the charts at one point or another, uh, but did not have the staying power of Sloan or no. Rush. No. Nope. Um, but uh, one of the albums I've actually really liked a lot that's gotten a lot of play in my house this year is the Andy Schauf record. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've been listening to that as much. Oh, yeah, I, like I listen it to it a ton. The Neon um, Skyline mm-hmm. record, and we talked about it. Yeah, it's, it's, and again, it's, um, it's a great, that album almost, <laughs> I, I mean, you can, you can, uh, it's got that 70s, I, I don't want to say Buffett because it's not a Buffett album, but it's got that era to me of like almost, a little bit of yacht rock, a little bit of storytelling, and but it all comes together really well. I'm not selling that very well, but I think no, you're hopefully not. You're you know what I'm saying. Job. AM radio, Actually, I don't know what it is. You know, it's just something that like I it's hate easy all to the listen things to without being easy listening. Yeah, yeah, it's the yeah, I guess it's the easy listening aspect, but it's also very small in scope on lyrics. It's just really about a bar. And yeah, I think it's about one bar. night. I think it's a. I think it's the, the entire uh, song cycle is one evening. Yeah. It reminds think, me actually of a, of an American artist um, who is equally toiling in obscure, uh, relative obscurity, which is Cass McCombs. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, and I think this is a guy I saw at Rough Trade in, in Brooklyn years back and, and forgot I saw him. Um, <laughs> it wasn't exactly the most dynamic live show, but I do love this record. And it actually brought me back to the earlier records too and because and, uh, I liked it when I went and saw him. And, and um and I think it's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed of myself for comparing him to Buffett now, but I think what I meant was just that more sort of like easy breezy listening. It's got like a, you know, crack of the cocktail sound to it to some degree. Yeah, there's there's nothing self serious um, no. or self flagellating about the Andy Shelf record. And um, if you that, want some Canadian accent, he's got it. He sure does. Sorry. Um, anyway, you want to take a break and we'll end this thing the way we end them all. Yeah, let's uh, pop on Neon Skyline and uh, take a break. I called up Charlie about a quarter past nine and said, what's going on tonight? He said no plans, but I wouldn't mind holding a letter head tonight. I said, come to the skyline, I'll be washing my sins away Oh, he just left Said I'll be late You know how I can be I looked in my fridge It was a dark scene So I buttered some bread Welcome back to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Um, I just want to do one show note, and uh, that is, Jeremy, you um, you stumbled upon something during the break that uh, was an overlooked... Um, yeah, it was sort of like a trauma that you've uh, repressed for many, many years, and then, you know, something happens, um, you get startled, or you, you know, have a bad dream, or somebody touches you in a way, and you, you realize something something terrible, you've remembered something terrible, and... Uh, <laughs> I think this this uh, conversation has been somewhat therapeutic, and this is yeah, the, uh, it's really got a lot of genes out, and it's also made me you know appreciate Canada and Canadian music in general. But I do just want to put out there that um, all Canadian music was briefly almost ruined by the uh, hit, and I, I do mean hit single, um, by the Crash Test Dummies. <laughs> yeah, that was on our. Um, 
unlike Arcade Fire, who won our March Madness tournament uh, for best album of the 2000s so far, Mm-mm-mm-mm. went pretty, uh, pretty close deep. to the distance in our worst song of and all I time. And I would say, uh, just because we've talked about them too much in the past, Bare Naked Ladies went uh, pretty far on that list too. So they with, won. The good, with the good comes the bad. <laughs> Yeah, so um, put those two to bed. And do you want to? Uh, what have you been? What have you been listening to? Um, so I have been listening to a bunch of podcasts recently. Obviously, um, with the emergence of possible sports coming back, I've uh, been excited and kind of getting into some uh, baseball stuff. Even though you know, uh, probably my least favorite sport at this point, the way they've handled things. But at the same time, just kind of excited for sports in general. In the Cam Newton signing, I'm a New England Patriots fan, so that's um, exciting. So I've been listening to uh, a little bit of Ringer um, and uh, a little bit of Cowherd and uh, just kind of getting my sports fix back. I'd taken a little bit of a break because I was just tired of hearing, uh, you know, what drafts from 2004 would have been like or speculation on how they're going to do it. And then um, I also will just give the Ringer a shout-out um, – uh, the press box during this kind of election cycle. I think it's a great pod to jump into if you're interested in, in politics at all and in media. And I think they do a good job on, on that pod. Um, mm-hmm. I know the ringer gotten some hot water lately, so um, shame on them. But I do like that pod still and listen to it pretty frequently. Um, and then, yeah, I'm kind of looking for the next show and stuff. I wrapped up Fargo and those things. So if you have any suggestions, I'm, I'm open to it. Um, that's, uh, that's what I've been listening to. How about you? I wish I did. I wish I had some recommendations. I, I feel like I've petered out on recommendations. I um, just read the uh, Flea's autobiography, Acid for the Children, which was a fun, breezy read, uh, which I knocked off in a day. And, um, and yeah, I guess I've been listening to the Laura Marling record. Um, and yeah, which I you like believe that believe is one we haven't um, really discussed. Um, again, I was about to probably endorse for the eighth time this is what happens when you when you don't have uh um, a whole lot else to to talk about like sports um you wind up endorsing the same things over and over again but i you know the the songs that have been stuck on my on my um playlist have been the waxahachie album uh laura marling i really like a lot and um uh andy shelf so they are ones that have come up more than once and i'm not um, proud to say that I'm stuck in a little bit of a of a K-hole as far as my listening goes. I need to break out of it. So um, Heim, I'm looking to Heim for uh, some uh, salvation. Another strong uh, year of women artists. Uh, all those, I mean, Andy Schiff. Yeah, that, last few years have been great. List off that you had too, but the women artists that you... Uh, Name there that you know. I think we've we've on the what are you listening to um, episodes we've we've name checked a lot, but I, I love all those records as well. So mm-hmm. uh, they've uh, been on my uh, my spinning uh, Spotify ear earbuds as well. Um, so you want to add one? Of, yeah. How about you go first? Well, you want to add one song to the four hundred million ten best songs of all time? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna kick it back to you. Oh man pulling a Christian on me well um, I kind of feel like I want to add two because it's the 4th of July and we'll probably take a little hiatus Um, I'm going to do actually a aforementioned band and a song that I really love Um, the band is Preoccupations from Canada and the song is Continental Shelf Um, it's a great great kind of like um, 
poppy slash uh, you post-punk. know um, post punk song. It's really great off their first record. And then the second one, I'm, I'm going to stay um, up north and the you know not too far from where we are right now, and not too far from where you were hiding out from COVID for a little while. Um, but I am going to go with a Neil Young song, and I'm going to go off of the classic Harvest album, but a song that doesn't get played a ton, and it's uh, one of my favorite opening tracks on any album out on the weekend. By Neil nice. Young. Well, then if you're going to do two, I'm going to do two. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, my first sure. one is one I've wanted to put on for a while, which is New Pornographer's Whiteout Conditions. Love that song, yep. And the other is, uh, hmm, it's, it's, I'm stuck between a few uh, possibilities here. Give me a hint. I, I'll tell you one that you sent via um, text because there was a rehash of it with some current artists is not on the not on the list just so you know if that's if, that, if you're leaning in that direction by any chance or if I'm if my code makes any sense at all it doesn't make any sense at all so why don't you tell me PE fight the power is not on there uh, no oh my god yeah the but I don't know if you were leaning that way or not so I don't want to no don't 100% in fact right. I was I was thinking about a Feist song and I couldn't remember uh, the name of Musha Boom but that's going to have to wait because uh, fight the power isn't on the list yet and so it's going nice. on I thought you might be going there, so I hold off on that one. Yeah, couldn't remember. Could for all my uh, connecting brain cells, um, <laughs> it my synapses that were firing away. I couldn't remember the title that of thing, Mushaboom. But yeah. it's gonna have to wait. Yeah, it is a great fight song. The power. But uh, it right. is a fight the power time. Fight the power for Fourth of July. There we go. Yeah, blame Canada. Talk yeah. to you soon. <laughs> Talk to you later. I'm Wyndham Lewis. On behalf of my brothers Jeremy Sartori and Christian Lewis, thank you very much for listening to the Brother, Brother, Brother podcast. Many thanks also to our heroic producer, Damian Kendall, and to Simon Doom for our epic intro music. Learn more about the pod at brotherpod.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and it's extremely helpful if you rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.